another edition of the Purple Theory Podcast. I am your host, Parker Fleming, and I have with me, as always, uh, our co-host, Grant McGalliard. Grant, how are you this evening? I am doing great, Parker. Uh, just just another day on the grind, churning out newspapers. You know, news never sleeps. How, uh, how are you doing now? Doing doing well. Uh, you know, just trying to keep keep working, keep productive. Um, my uh, my gym had to sign up so that no more than four people went at the same time. And I went to the gym yesterday and my body is uh, yelling at me for not having lifted for the last eight weeks and then going mm-hmm. to lift yesterday. So a little bit of normalcy there. Um, but, uh, you know, other than being sore, uh, trying to be productive, trying to keep moving forward. So doing, doing well with, with that. Um, I, th- I think more important than our lives, though, I have uh, one general question for you that needs to be addressed based mm-hmm. on some smoke we're seeing on TCU Twitter. Um, from some people who might know things. Grant, does TCU want Bama? No. I think that's it. I think that's, that's, <laughs> that's my discussion. answer. Yeah, yeah, no. Um, for those of you listening at home, TCU has been rumored to be in talks with Alabama as a contingency plan to take over uh, Southern Cal's spot in Jerry World for the season opener. And um, despite some people uh, wanting this to happen, I can't address how, how bad a, um, an off-campus game in which TCU will surely lose um, would be for the national brand. Also, Grant, I feel like as a journalist, you probably have some qualms about people saying about what good exposure it would be. I feel like um, yeah. doing it for the exposure is never a good precedent, no. even in college football. I've written a lot of bad articles for exposure. And let me tell you, that's, that's not the avenue you want to go down. I, I also do want to give credit. I, I think it was Drew Davidson in the Star-Telegram who had this, and I apologize if it wasn't. But he, from what I've read, it seems like Jeremiah Donati thinks that the game against Cal will be played. Yes. Um, what that I, looks like, I don't know. Probably no fans, whatever. But I, I – I understand how that rumor got started in that week where we don't know what California was doing with sports. Um, Alabama's supposed to play USC, TCU's supposed to play Cal. I, I, I get it, and I get where that could be a natural fit. I think it's a terrible idea for TCU, and I also think that they'll play Cal. So Yeah, I think, I, I, think I agree with that, and, and, and I really wouldn't be addressing it so severely if I wasn't um, – unfortunately uh, in really deep with a couple of gumps, uh, a couple of Alabama fans who are in the know. And it seems like there were some like preliminary, you know, break class, break glass in case of emergency talks about that game. But um, I hope it doesn't happen. I hope that we play Cal. Yeah. I don't want to do that. Yeah. I I, look and listen, I I know you you point to Ohio state, right? You say like we had an unproven quarterback, knowing Sean Robinson, obviously, and that game hung with them for sure. Uh, there was also better offense and a, a more experienced defense, I would say, in that game. And it was just kind of a perfect storm. So don't expect that to happen if TCU plays Alabama in a season opener after no spring practice uh, with a rebuilding offense. Um, yeah, it, it would not end the same well. It would not be a moral loss, a moral victory loss like Ohio State. And even that is like the, the, moral, the moral victory at Ohio State is on, on tenuous ground. Uh, Darius Anderson did something cool. That was dope. That was great. And then that was the, great. if we just pretend the third quarter doesn't happen, yeah, it's a, it's a moral victory. Um, yeah. I, I think, I think our bottom line on this is if you want Max Duggan to win the Heisman in 2021, you don't want him to get murdered yes. uh, in August of this year. That was we just, need him alive. Know, yeah. That's what I would say. Yeah. So I think, I think that's important. Uh, no affront to TCU's offensive line who uh, has some, some grad transfers coming in and has some returning starters that look, uh, potentially promising. We'll preview those later. But Grant, I do want to talk about, and, and excuse me, by later, I mean in the future, uh, not later yes. tonight. Yeah. Tonight is our Texas Tech Big 12 preview episode. And here in a little bit, we're going to talk to Jarrett Johnson from Inside the Red Raiders, the 24-7 sports site. Um, and, and we'll preview Texas Tech. But in the meantime, uh, Grant, I do want to talk about 
um, a recent article you posted for Dallas Morning News, uh, mm-hmm. sports, sports Day. Am I getting that correct? It's the call. It's the sports section of the Dallas yes. Morning News. Sports, yeah. sports section of the Dallas Morning News. And um, you you were tasked with ranking the top fifteen players for yep. TCU's twenty twenty campaign. So one, I'll tell everyone. Uh, go to Grant's Twitter, click the article, read it, um, subscribe to the sports package if you haven't. It. It's great content. Mm-hmm. Um, and I don't want you to spoil all of that, but we did talk a little bit about the tail end of that list. So mm-hmm. I want to talk about your bottom five. Who are the last five players in your list of 15? And uh, and let's talk about them. Yeah. So first, I, I want to give a couple of disclaimers, right? So this is guys that I think so the, the top five are the guys that I expect to be the five best players. Um, six through 10 are guys that I think have established themselves and are going to be key parts of the offense and the defense. 15 through uh, 11, I took a little bit of liberties. Um, there are some guys that we saw last year. There are also some guys that I think, look, they, this might be the breakout season. So um, we'll start at number 15. Uh, I had surveillance hunt. Um, he had issues catching the ball. I'm not going to pretend that he didn't. He also made that incredible catch against Baylor. And TCU is going to need all the wide receivers they can handle uh, with Rager gone. So um, I had surveillance hunt at 15. I know you weren't necessarily a fan of that, but I think he deserves a spot based I, on what we know. I think, I think my biggest argument for surveillance hunt is, you know, everyone says, but he can't catch. And my argument is what if he, what if he could? Exactly. Exactly. <laughs> because exactly. he has all of the physical tools of like a very good wide receiver. And so if last year was a fluke and if he can, uh, and he can, you know, put some of those things together and get some of those drops out of his head, uh, I, I think he is like a sneaky upside guy. So I, I actually, uh, I, I don't know. I want to see the rest of your top top 15 before I sure. comment on who I would have put in. But like, he's borderline, but I, I could justify it. He could be. And like I said, that's a potential thing. Um, yeah. it, real quick, have you ever seen the Royal Tenenbaums? It's a, uh, you know, everyone knows Custer died at the Battle of Little Bighorn. But what my book presupposes is, what if he didn't? Exactly. And that's basically my attitude to, uh, to be on Exactly. Uh, <laughs> Number 14, a guy that was a fixture at TCU press conferences last year, uh, Coy McMillan, uh, uh, junior, uh, center. One of the only guys returning on that offensive line. Um, you know, I think he has room to grow in terms of some of the things, you know, in, in terms of blocking, you might say. But there's no doubt that I think his leadership is really where that comes in. Um, Patterson loves him. He wants as many Coy McMillans as he can get. Um, all that is intangibles, and I know you hate intangibles, but they do mean something, at least to Patterson. And I think he's going to be certainly – I think you could say the rock of that offensive line, for better or worse. So I, I think he deserves a spot. Definitely. And for, for years to come, you know, he's only a junior. Um, exactly. So I think, I think people forget, like last year, um, you know, he wasn't, he wasn't Austin Schlotman last year. Yeah. And, like, that's fine. He was a sophomore who started every game at center. Yep. Um, so, yeah, I, I definitely think he is um, one of those foundational pieces for the TCU offense. Also, big Tyler Childers fan. I talked to him about country music for like five minutes at their press conference. Honestly, he looks like a guy who could play country music. Yeah, he's got. I don't know if yeah. you've seen. He's got the hair and the beard, and he's yes. just got it going on. He's from. Uh, yeah, he's from Texas. He could definitely like two step, probably better than I could. Oh, for sure. Uh, at thirteen, a guy who can, who we know can catch, uh, Pro Wells. Um, kind of weird, you know, to, to put a tight end that high in a Big Twelve offense. But Wells obviously tied for the team lead with five touchdown catches last year. Only had 17 catches overall, but it seemed like he was always getting open at key times. Uh, and he's 6'4", 257, and knows how to run a post route. So I think he deserves a spot. Yeah, I mean, I think people are going to, um, you know, resent him for uh, what shall we say are notable drops. Um, drops yeah. that we remember. Yeah. Uh, but I will say, like, he played so much wide receiver last year that, like, I think – Prowell's the wide receiver is probably not in the top 15 for TCU. Prowell's the tight end is like absolutely right. And so and, that's and all contingent on how they use him, I think. For sure. And I think that's why I put him there because 
Yes. Okay. Rager's gone, but TCU should have a healthier wide receiver core. And I think they can use him more at tight end this year and not have to split him out wide. Um, he and Artavius Lynn will, will, will split time at tight end, but I think that's where he'll play most of his snaps. So I, I think he deserves a spot. Um, number 12, this is complete conjecture. Uh, but Zach Evans, he's a five-star freshman running back. I think in terms of potential, he, and in terms of overall talent, he's certainly a top 15 player on the roster. My only question here is, is he the only running back on your list? Yes. Okay. And then I'm fine with that. That's fine. He's going to be, he's going to be the running back. That's fine. Yep. That's great. I feel... I, 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 I'm not projecting starting. I'm saying in terms of talent. Yeah. I think that's where he belongs. Yeah. I think that's probably fair. Like he is, he is right now from what we know, more talented than what TCU has on the roster. Yeah. Yes. That's great. Yes. And that's not, that's not knocking down Barlow or Foster or anybody. Um, and then number 11, I have Corey Bethley. Um, not the production that we wanted out of him last year, uh, number two defensive tackle, but I think the Frogs can scheme around him. Uh, and I, I think he, uh, you know, uh, again, it's going into a senior year. He's experienced. And um, I, I think he, he's certainly in the top 15. I like that pick a lot. I want that to be true. I do feel like Bethley was yep. kind of that guy last year where you were like, wait a minute, where did he go? Right. Um, and I don't know, you know, again, we don't, I don't know the X's and O's. And is that like, he was lining up in such a way to kind of like, take blocks so that black lock could be more disruptive or like what, I mean, you, you, I, right. I don't know anything about that, but like, I, I, I wonder what he will be. Cause it, it seems like he'll be the kind of one of the feature guys as defensive tackle. For sure. So. And, and I think he had a better year than people remember him having. I mean, he was yeah. an honorable mention uh, all big 12 for the second straight year tied for third on the team with two and a half sacks uh, tied for six, four tackles for loss. Those are great numbers, but in the like overall, um, grand pitcher of the TCU defense, like I said, he was tied for third in sacks, tied for sixth with tackles for loss. So, you know, in, in, you know, in a context with TCU, he's, he's certainly one of the best 15 players, I think. Definitely. Um, who, who are some people, if you have this off the top of your head, who, who's somebody you left off? Who was, who was left on the cutting floor of almost being in the top 15? Yeah. If you say Jordy Sandy, we're ending the podcast. You took the words right out of my mouth. <laughs> um, no, I, I think, uh, there are a couple of linebackers I was looking at. D. Winters, I think, might really have a chance um, to be something special. A couple of the freshmen, Quentin Johnson at wide receiver, I think, um, certainly has a chance to make an impact this year. Um, those are two of the guys that, that I, I think, if I were to, to redo this, um, I might put DeMarquette Foster on there as well. I don't want to have two running backs on there, but I think he could certainly make an impact. But, yeah, I, I think those are, those are the three uh, off the top of my head. It's a uh, it's a good problem to have to have a deep uh, a deep second tier because depth is so important for TCU. Um, yeah. Well, that's that's great, and people should absolutely go look and uh, and I will say I've read I've read the list I've seen the top ten it will surprise you um, and so you should definitely go click the link and look at the article. Um, He's still doing the podcast with me, so it's not that bad. It's not Jordy Sandy. Uh, but it's not Jordy Sandy. <laughs> leg tattoos and all. Um, all right, great. So we're going to, we're going to talk to, uh, we're going to talk to Jared Johnson here in a minute. We've got a couple of Twitter questions. So let's, uh, let's knock these out and then we will uh, move yeah. on to the Texas Rapid Tech fire. Preview. Let's do it. Let's do it. So I, I tweeted out literally as Jared was getting on, uh, getting on the zoom for us. Uh, so to start recording, I just said podcast Q and a, anything you asked for seven we're going to answer. Um, so first question from our friend, Jeff Mitchell at the Frogcast TCU. Um, if ADJD athletic director, Jeremiah Donati, were to let only five hashtag TCU Twitter people be in the stands or press box for the game, who would they be besides uh, Yell MK? So not you. No, I'm not. I'm not there. I'm not. <laughs> no. a, 
I went to the press box for the Armed Forces Bowl. Um, that's, yeah, I'm not, a, uh, I'm not a member. But so the, 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 this question itself is kind of funny, but I like it because uh, our, our friend Charlie Hogue responded to it and said they need to wrestle for it. So you can this, have is, it. this is the question <laughs> that I just want to do. Um, obviously, one of those spots is accounted for. Who are the yes. other four spots uh, if we had to do a wrestling match for TCU Twitter to get in the, uh, get in the press box? I think Melissa would beat you up. So I'm putting Melissa in there. Honestly, um, I, I, one, one, I would have a hard time like actually fighting her Two, I think she would absolutely, uh, if, if it came down to it, she would, she'd be able to throw it out. Yeah. She would. Um, I don't know about wrestling. Jeremy Clark's getting in. Uh, you're not going to beat up Billy Wessels. Uh, he's in. Um, oh, man, I'm trying to think of another one besides so that's that yelling. Be like, yeah. It's that four spot. That's, that's really killing me. Um, I mean, it's a TCU Twitter. I mean, like, I, I guess we technically write for competing publications, but Drew Davison's like a great dude. He, he'd get in for sure. Um, I think I think I would let Drew. Da- I think if it came down to me and Drew wrestling, I would say Drew. You could, I, yeah, you I, I think I think he would. Yeah, I think he could do it. <laughs> um, and, and I think Carlos gets an emeritus spot, so Carlos is getting in too. But I, I think those are the guys that that would that would and, and Melissa that that would get in there. Definitely. Am I missing somebody? I feel like I'm leaving somebody out. But I don't know. Yell at us on Twitter if we miss somebody yeah. who would who would win. And then also, if someone has an idea for a venue for the wrestling match, we should do yeah. it. So I, what I'm picturing now is Matt Jennings flying in from Atlanta and like <laughs> doing like a Hulk Hogan, like a oh my god, he's here, like entrance. Um, By God, uh, that's Matt Jennings. Music. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. I could definitely see it happen. That is one of the dumber questions we've had, and I liked it yeah, a lot. Yeah, but I love um, it. Big fan. Uh, okay, our friends at the 1012 um, asked us, all the returning starts talks on offensive line, that's in reference to me um, doing a bunch of stuff about offensive line starts on Twitter this morning. Where would you rate the TCU O-line in the Big 12 heading into the season? Um, yeah. I don't, I don't know enough to, to assign like a direct number out of 10, but I would say the bottom half. Um, not trying to, to slide anybody on the, TV, on the TCU offensive line, um, but McMillan's really the, the, the one guy that I, I – trust coming back and I think he's sort of the anchor I think there's a lot of unknowns and because of that I don't feel comfortable putting them in the top half going into um, 2020 I would agree with that I think they're they're upside with TJ Stormont coming in from Colorado yes, State and being immediately sure. eligible and uh, Coleman uh, from Juco being yep. immediately eligible I think their upside is uh, potentially very high I don't know we've seen you know who, who knows yeah, yeah but I, I would say bottom half yeah yeah um, all right Robert Frey asks who will have the biggest differential in offensive rush EPA per play and offensive pass EPA per play in the Big 12 going into next season? Kansas me... State. <laughs> they don't throw. Right. You, don't believe throw. The, you don't believe the Skylar Thompson revolution? Skylar Thompson coming back <laughs> for his 15th uh, college season? No, I don't. I, I, you know, I think it's either Kansas State or Kansas because Puka Williams is a good running back. And Lord knows what Kansas is going to do on offense. So I know those are probably default answers, but I'd say those two. I mean, and everybody else basically has like quarterback with a pulse and that's just going to mean yeah. their passing game is going to be more efficient. So exactly. I think, I think, yeah, I think, I think one of the Kansases is probably correct there. Um, the, yeah. 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 I think it's gotta be it. Uh, uh, Daniel Duncan with a two piece. Yeah. Go, go read those for me. Okay. All right. Respond to the rumors that uh, Sonny Cumbie and Doug Meacham will be sharing play calling duties this upcoming year. If true, how would that change your perspective on our potential for early down throwing? And he kind of followed that up a little bit. Uh, Meacham is on record that he loves throwing quick game. What are your thoughts on quick game versus running the ball on early downs? And how does that affect early down EPA? So I'll let you handle the EPA portion of it. Yeah. Oh, I want to do that too. Uh, I just want to say uh, first, uh, what rumors? Um, 
I've heard some, but yeah, anyway. You know, yeah. Yeah, 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 yeah. I don't want to be coy on here or whatever. We've mm-hmm. all heard that. Uh, I don't know. I have no idea. All my knowledge is secondhand. I'm hearing it from the same place exactly, as you guys are yeah. hearing it. So yeah. I don't, we don't, I'm not breaking any news. I'm trying, but I don't know anything either. Um, one, one, Meech has been on like, he's, he was on the Run the Power podcast recently. And then I saw like a pretty big, um, some big names on a, an FAU sponsored offense X's and O's conference. And Meechum was on there. So like, that's encouraging just because that's been one of my, you know, knocks, I guess it's a, more of a symptom than a disease about Sonny Cumbie is like, no one wants him to come talk football anywhere. And so Meacham getting invited places, at least like, Hey, he's doing something innovative. People, people want to know what he has to think. So, um, yeah, I, I'm, uh, I have a big long piece that I wrote like 1500 words of on Monday and then deleted a bunch. And then met like, again, 3000 words, because I can't ever figure out what I want to write, but it's about TCU in, in the Meacham and Cumbie offense. And mm-hmm. they were um, passing a whole lot on early downs, even with Boykin's scrambling ability. So I think, you know, again, we look at um, rushing should be something you do when the box is light, when, when defenses are playing for passing um, and then to, to keep defenses honest, basically, I think a lot of people in college football think you rush and then you pass to, to keep them honest. The, the, the inverse is true in terms of efficiency. Um, and so more passing on early downs is going to increase uh, efficiency just because those runs that TCU is so good at are going to be, um, you know, Zach Evans is going to be so much more efficient when we utilize him. Well, the only thing I'll say that I, that I really like about Meacham as well is that like, I don't love Sonny Cumbie's route tree. I don't love kind of his base plays. And so I think Meacham into that could be potentially a little more exciting in terms of um, routes, a little more creative, a little bit more understanding of his team's strengths. Um, Because again, you think Trevon Boykin going into the 2014 season was not a quarterback. Not that he was a bad quarterback. He was not a quarterback. Um, 2013, he, he took over because of necessity and he was very bad. And so 2014 was a lot of what can we do with this guy? And not that Max Duggan is bad, but like Max Duggan has limitations. And so I'm, I think early down passing plus understanding your team's strengths and having the ability and creativity to kind of game plan around those strengths is, um, is going to be a really, really good thing. Um, and kind of affect EPA, uh, in terms of we're, we're rushing smarter. So rushing EPA goes up, we're passing smarter, passing EPA goes up. Yeah. And, and one thing too, so we, we've, just buried Sonny Cumbie for the last three minutes. Uh, a lot of the development for Boykin was due to Cumbie. I think he's a really That's good fair. quarterback coach. I That's think he fair. developed quarterbacks yes. very well. So I, I want to make that clear. I'm not 100% fair. Yes. He, he he's very good well. at what he's very good at. He's. We don't have to. I, I think he develops quarterbacks well, but we're saying something nice. I think he develops awesome. quarterbacks yes. very well. That's oh, and I mean that completely sincerely. He 100% does. And yeah. that's why I'm excited for the tandem. I really am. I think they work well together. And, and, and if, if, you know, the rumors are true, whatever, but I think having those two together on staff can help a lot. I mean, here's, here's the real question. question. Is there anything you want to see more on the TCU sideline than Doug Meacham crouched, holding a card and just watching a play? No, like, I didn't think anyone could look more psychotic on the sideline. Psychotic is a bad word. Any crazier on the sideline than Gary Patterson. And then I saw Doug Meacham. Uh, I, when we watched the Kansas State game, I was like, oh my God, this man is losing his mind. He's, and they were winning crazy. by 20 at that yeah. point. Yeah. He's yeah, crazy. He's I love it. Um, also, gosh, I can't remember what this is. I... I'm convinced that I saw uh, Sonny Cumbie with a beer in the booth uh, during two, the 2014 season. Oh, come season. on. Don't start that. No, I'm, a- I'm advocating that positively. You might say it was sweet tea. It looked like it was an amber ale. And he was saying like, hey, let's like, let's let this thing ride. He was, he was just doing it. It if was that, a spit cup is what it was. If that was That's true. what every coordinator has in the booth. It's a spit cup. If it was a beer, I would like him more. That's all. That's, that's all I'm saying. I saw him at Fuzzies one time. Fun fact. Didn't say hot, but. 
I don't think he had a beer. Anyway, <laughs> let's name all the times we saw TCU players and, and coaches in the wild, and we'll be here for another 30 minutes. Uh, my first question for uh, Sonny Cumbie is, how many beers have you drank in your entire life? And um, <laughs> Name them all. Name right them, about. yeah, exactly. Um, okay, well, that uh, devolved into uh, hilarity very quickly, which is great. Um, I, I, I like a little weekly hilarity. So, um, Grant, we are going to transition. We're going to bring Jarrett on, and we are going to talk to him about Texas Tech. That is great. Um, listeners, make sure you follow Grant at Grant McGalliard, spelled like it sounds, on Twitter, and me at StatsWar. Um, I haven't asked for this before, but um, many of you are subscribed. Many of you are listening, and we really like that. Um, you know, throw some stars on there, review it, whatever, make sure other people can hear about it, share it on Twitter. Um, again, we're ramping up for the season. We're really excited for college football to happen. We're going to try and give you great content this offseason. Um, so if you could just help us by – uh, rating, reviewing, and sharing, which would just get the word out and kind of um, make sure everybody who wants to hear the podcast knows about it. So um, thanks for that. Follow us on Twitter. Looking forward to talking to you all and enjoy um, enjoy Jarrett and Texas Tech. Tonight we have for a Texas Tech preview, Jarrett Johnson from Inside the Red Raiders, 24-7's Texas Tech website. Jarrett, how are you? I'm doing great. Thanks for having me on the show. Yeah, thanks so much for coming on tonight. Thanks so much for uh, being here to talk about Texas Tech. Uh, as our listeners know, we are doing a slow walkthrough, a slow preview of the um, Big 12 teams, kind of going from worst to first projected based on uh, Brian Freemail's FEI numbers and Bill Conley's SP Plus numbers. Um, and so Texas Tech is our third installment. Um, let's, uh, let's talk about Texas Tech. Before we get into 2020 specifically, I kind of want to just bounce off, you know, I want to hear from you, 2019, Texas Tech, uh, year one of Coach Matt Wells. Let's talk about the state of the program. Um, the Raiders haven't won nine games since Mike Leach was here. They have four straight losing seasons. They only have three bowls in seven years. Um, so, one, tell me, what does Matt Wells kind of bring to Texas Tech, and what was the energy surrounding Matt Wells kind of coming into 2019? Well, there's a lot to that. Uh, first off, Texas Tech football has been terrible, especially uh, compared to the other sports. When you look at basketball going, you know, within seconds away from winning a national title, baseball going to four college World Series in the last seven years, track winning a national title. I mean, you go down the list, uh, Tech sports is doing great except for the big one, right, football. They have just been, I mean, really for the Red Raider football program, which hasn't been obviously like a, like a, like a blue blood, but it's been, even for Tech, it's been not good. <laughs> uh, so with that being said, it's been, you know, it's a tall task for Matt Wells. And he came in knowing that uh, it was going to be a tough task for him. But I think he may have underestimated just the state of the roster, what it was when he came in. There was so much attrition uh, for a variety of reasons. Injury, just poor roster management, the coaching change, all that. But I think. Still, with that being said, there were several games. I think there were four games that were decided by like uh, like around a touchdown or even less than that, and they and they weren't able to win any of those games. So I think, on one hand, you have the huge upset of Oklahoma State early in the season, and that was great. But then the loss to Kansas, I mean, dramatically you lost to Kansas, the overtime loss in, in Waco, uh, where look. That was a terrible call. Anybody who yes. saw that, I don't care. Yeah. It was it was it was garbage. But that being said, the Red Raiders had a, had several opportunities to win before it got to that point. So, I think that was for me. Like I'm not surprised that they had a rough season because I knew I knew the roster. I've been covering this. I've seen it unfold. Uh, but I, 
the biggest disappointment was was having those opportunities to win those close games and not winning any of them. So I think that's the biggest challenge moving forward to 2020. So kind of entering this without delving into too much of the past and, and, and Texas Tech's attitude towards Cliff, was there sort of a willingness to start over from ground zero with Matt Wells sort of among the Texas Tech fan base? I tell you what, uh, you know, you, the first question was basically just the futility. And I think Red Raider fans are tired of losing, no matter who the mm-hmm. coach is at this point. I think what Kingsbury had going for him, there was like the Tuberville era after Mike Leach, after Tech. I mean, they were at least uh, a player in the game. Uh, they had a, a national reputation for, you know, the – the whole uh, Mike Leach being crazy, airing it out, all of that. And then Tuberville came in, and it was a disaster. And then Kingsbury came in, one of your own, former, you know, All-American, and, and it was a disaster too. So I think at this point, they just want to win. Mm-hmm. Red Raider fans, they're tired of excuses. They're tired of hearing about what I just said about it being a re- – like when I tell fans on the message board that it's the rebuilding uh, effort for, for Coach Wells, they don't want to hear it. I mean, that's just the, the – the, just getting down to the bottom line. They, they don't want to hear that it's rebuilding. They want – I think Kirby Hoke had actually said he wants to get the program to an elite level, and that's something the fans are holding to. Obviously, 4-8 and is not elite. But I tell you, me personally, having – getting some access, getting to be around Coach Wells, being at the practices, talking to recruits, talking to players, I'm actually optimistic. I think it's going to take some time. It's not going to happen in 2020. Mm-hmm. But uh, I'm optimistic that he's on the right track. Definitely. Um, and, and, and we talked uh, last week to uh, our friend Jake, Jake Lance of the Smoking Musket about West Virginia. And he was mentioning Neil Brown is the kind of guy who wears the team colors and talks to the donors and does the right things. And it feels like Matt Wells is very much along those lines of let's build a program. Um, is that true? Absolutely. You know, I'm personally – there's many ways to get this done, I, I feel like, you know. To, to run a successful football program. But personally, I feel like in today's era of football, you need that, you know, that CEO type, the, the, the baby kisser, the, the handshaker of all the, you know, you know what I mean? The, the guy who go around in glad hand with, with all the alums and everything. And I think Matt Wells absolutely is that he has made, he makes the extra effort with, I mean, obviously recruits, but high school coaches from not just, you know, the coaches that have the big-time recruits this this recruiting cycle. Um, I mean, whether it be the Blue Hairs or the or the students, he gives them a lot of time. He's really tried to open up the program where it was kind of shut down under Kingsbury. It was kind of a – there was kind of a weird time there for a couple of years where it seemed like they were trying to – I don't know. I don't know what they were trying to do. But, uh, I, you know, it was kind of shut down. The program, the, the fans did feel like they were in the dark for a little bit, and that's definitely been opened up to a great extent. And I, I personally agree with that philosophy. Well, and clearly you can see with, you know, in Lubbock that there's fertile ground for fan engagement and a really collegiate experience as opposed to, you know, some, some programs are very professional. Um, and that might be some of the closed off you're, you're talking about, but Chris Beard is doing those fireside chats and he's buying rounds at Chimmy's and all this, all this fun stuff where it's like, no, you're a college coach. I think that that goes very far in Lubbock. Um, Okay, let's let's talk about 2019. Then let's 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 shift specifically to kind of on the field. So Texas Tech was four and eight. They were two and seventh, finishing ninth in the Big Twelve Conference. They beat Oklahoma State and they beat West Virginia. Um, they uh, finished one and six in their last seven games. Although I feel like it's appropriate to say they also finished two and six in their last eight. Um, they were zero and four in one score games. 
5.8 second order wins. So the advanced stats think that Texas Tech was actually pretty unlucky, which again, 0-4 in one score games, that terrible call against um, Baylor. And then even the, the, late, the late fumble against uh, TCU. I mean, honestly, Texas Tech very much was, was yeah. primed to win that yeah. game. Um, Texas Tech finished 54th in SP+, 39th in offense, but 83rd in defense. Um, and they are uh, – and, and so I'll, I'll stop there with my, uh, my stats dump there. So uh, talk to me about 2019 kind of big narrative of the season. There was kind of that, are they unlucky, are they bad? Um, but how did Texas Tech fans, you know, knowing Matt Wells was coming in, knowing he had a lot to work with, having high expectations, what was the kind of flow of the season? Well, I'll tell you what, it started off, you know, they played a couple of cupcakes, won those games handily, and then they lost at Arizona, and they didn't look good. And Alan Bowman didn't look good. And he, then he went down with the injury in that game. I think he actually came back and played, but that was pretty much wraps of the season for him. Um, so at that point, it was, as you all know, with fan bases, it was full panic mode. Um, you know, they bounced back with the win over Oklahoma State, and then they lost, you know, they looked like against Baylor – you know, if they had won that game, who knows how that the season would have played out from that. Because that took – I think I even underestimated at the time how much wind it took out of the sales of the players. Like, it took them several weeks to bounce back from that loss. Now, whether it was because of a bad call, which, like we say, it certainly was a bad call, or because they didn't take advantage of opportunities, just that loss and the way they lost. Because you know how it is. Between TCU, Baylor, Tech, UT, a lot of these guys, they all know each other. A lot of them play, play ball together or grew up playing, you know, ball together or, or against each other. So, you know, they know each other. And that was, that was a tough one to stomach for them. So I think then you go down the list, you know, you're playing your third or fourth string quarterback, however you want to call it, uh, and Jet Duffy. And, you know, he was good. I think he was better than, than some expected. But he didn't – he never stepped up and won that game for you. You know, he never won a game for you in, a, in one of those one-score game situations like you mentioned. And, and it cost him. Definitely. Can I, can I put you on the spot for a second? Cause this is my favorite fun fact yeah. because Jet Duffy was sneakily decent last year. Um, mm-hmm. yeah. I'll say again on the podcast, off field concerns aside, I have no comment on that. Uh, right. On the field. Uh, do you know where Jet Duffy finished in the big 12 in quarterback ranking last year? What number? I imagine it was pretty high. Cause he didn't turn the ball over a lot. Third. He was third. He was 28th oh. nationally. That is like way better than you thought a backup quarterback at Texas tech would be. Um, and that met Wells offense, you know, 38th yeah. in SP plus. Um, sneakily decent uh that kind of that kind of lends itself really nicely into kind of my first specific question can we talk about defense at texas tech so i'm gonna i'm gonna read you off um sp that's my favorite subject right there (laughs) Uh, normally we start with the offense and i intentionally did it backwards for texas tech um defense uh let me let me read you sp plus is of course play-by-play efficiency measure uh bill conley came up with it um texas tech's numbers for the last five years uh or last four years 83rd, 81st, 70, 114th in 2016. Um, what is the deal with defense at Texas Tech? I think it's a vicious cycle. You know, I think for one, just the air raid, the way, way it was originally, like before, uh, you're just, you're going to be, it's almost like you can't wait to get the ball through the hoop. It's almost like the Suns were uh, with Steve Nash, where you just, you, know, you score so much, but you give up so many points. And is that really conducive to winning at the highest level? You know, depends on who you ask, you know. Um, and then I think it becomes hard to recruit after that um, to that position or to those positions. Um, and then here, I think the years you mentioned, 
that's actually not as bad as I was thinking. <laughs> you know, I mean, it's actually been improved over the last three years because it was like when Pat Mahomes, like Tech had Pat Mahomes and didn't go to a bowl one year, okay? Think about mm -hmm. that. And that was because they had perhaps the worst defense in Power 5 football history that year. I mean, they were they were terrible. Like everybody talks about the shootout Mahomes had against Oklahoma with Baker Mayfield and how cool it was. And I remember feeling just – like I got my butt kicked because the defense is on both sides. Man, Mike Stoops' defense, it's like he was yeah. just laying it out there for Pat. Hey. But I, it was hard to watch as a football fan, you know, uh, just how bad the defenses were. So I think it becomes a vicious cycle. I think they're trying to improve. I mean, like, for example, right now they have three three-star defensive linemen uh, committed for, for this recruiting cycle. That's a big deal for Texas Tech. You know, they beat out some other Big 12 teams for those guys. And that is kind of unheard of for that many guys, for it not to be like a legacy or some kind of, uh, you know, extenuating circumstance. But, you know, then again, the secondary, like, is a problem. And you, you see them plug one hole, and then there's another one that pops up. So I, I think, to me, the easiest answer is just it's a vicious cycle. And until they actually have that breakthrough year where they have – you know, one of the better defenses in the Big 12, it's going to be hard for them to recruit and truly rebuild a quality defense. Well, and you mentioned some, you know, obviously they're trying to recruit better on the defensive line, things like that. Um, but is, is there something, because, you know, obviously last year was Keith Patterson's first year as defensive coordinator. Is there something that you can see them trying to make a change at all? Or is it just we're just going to try to keep, you know, plug in the gaps until we can find something that works? Honestly, it's a personnel problem, and it's been a personnel problem. I mean, before you even get to the X's and O's, I can break down some of the things they're doing, the tweaks they're doing schematically. But when you get to Big 12 level, at some time, at some point, it does become the Jimmys and Joes. Yeah. And those guys got to go out there and make plays. And I'm not trying to put anybody down that's that's in the program. They have some young guys coming up. I'm I'm truly, genuinely excited about it and can't wait to see play next year. But um, they don't have enough. And they're trying right. to get to that level. But it's, that's why when I say this is a rebuild, it's going to take a while. It's because really on defense, but not just on defense, they just don't have the depth. They have some good guys. They have some good pieces. But, and, and they haven't for a long time. And I, I think they recruited well under Kingsbury at times offensively. But defensively, it just – I can't really say they ever did. So, yeah. it, I mean, it takes – in football and basketball, you get one or two guys, boom. You know, you go compete for the for the conference title. Football, it just doesn't work that way. It takes some time. And I, they're, they're, in, they're in the very early stages. I think it's going to take at least another recruiting cycle after this one before we, we can start talking about, okay, they're starting to, to really replenish the stock on that side of the ball. And it's crazy to think that – I mean, Texas Tech had a first-round draft pick this year, and he was a defensive player. Um, and that just kind of yeah. blows my mind. And so that kind of translates again. Let's let's talk about 2020. You know, Texas Tech I, is losing – I will say, though, I'm sorry to cut in. That was the first one since 1983. Oh, my gosh. That's oh crazy. My God. Yeah, I mean, that – Let's put it in perspective now, okay? The first defensive player drafted in the first round since Gabe Rivera. That does okay. not surprise me, but that still, like, like the fact that it's been that long doesn't surprise me. That's still an astonishing number. Like, wow. 
Um, and Brooks was the man. He was he's, he was legit. So. Yeah. Okay. That so guy was incredible. We're gonna yeah. take a detour though for a second because I mean we're just we're talking football here. Uh, the TCU game. I was so excited to watch Jordan Brooks and how TCU was gonna like address him, and he got hurt early. And then Texas Tech just said, "Screw it, we're bringing eight every play," and they wrecked TCU's offense after that. <laughs> like when jo- it was so yeah. weird because Jordan Brooks, best player on the field probably, uh, goes out, and then Texas Tech's defense gets so much better um, outside of him. So that kind of that kind of wraps up, I guess, into this question of like. Tech loses Jordan Brooks. They lose Broderick Washington. They lose Douglas Colvin, who's their top tackler at linebacker, defensive lineman, defensive back. Who's there? Like, what? Is, what is the defense looking at for 2020 specifically? You know, it, it's going to be a thin unit, but who's going? Who are going to be the playmakers? Yeah, you know, Jordan Brooks is a tough loss. There's no way around that. You know, uh, Broderick Washington, same thing. I think, you know, you mentioned the last four years and how it was like 114th, and then, you know, the other three years were like around 80, 79. Well, Jordan Brooks and Broderick Washington, those two guys were a huge part of that because mm-hmm. they at least got better against the run. You mm-hmm. couldn't just line up and run over Texas Tech like you were able to do for the previous three years, which that is at least something. I mean, it really is. Yeah, they, they uh, were uh, 50, 58 is, in SP Plus on defense for rushing, which is, I mean, good comparatively. Yeah. I think Tech would take that with their normal offense almost every season, to be, you know, to be honest. So the those two guys that- were – yeah. The problem is that Those they're 127th against the pass. Yeah. Yeah. So, yeah. 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 Well, I'm going to get to that. The secondary okay. is the okay. problem. Okay. Sorry. That, I just you know, it's funny. That, yeah. You talk to people around and they're like, oh, you know, they kiss off the road. I'm like, no, no. This hasn't been the problem the last two or three years. It's been against the pass. Uh, so the secondary, look, Doug Coleman, yes, he was very uh, opportunistic. He came up with a lot of turnovers, but he was not the best. Uh, defensive back. Uh, the best defensive back was Zach McPherson, a cornerback they got a grad transfer from Penn State. He actually, I think Pro Football Focus uh, rated him as the second best returning cornerback in the Big 12. So he was, he didn't come up with a lot of interceptions, but got, teams didn't throw on him because everybody else was uh, susceptible, let's put it that way. Uh, very susceptible yeah. to being got, uh, even in double coverage. Yeah, I mean, it was secondary was, 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 a, was a, probably the biggest problem on the whole team, in my opinion. And it wasn't even, wasn't even really that close. Uh, defensive line actually likes some guys coming up. They're going to miss Broderick. They are. Um, some guys like Tony Bradford. He was a guy who played at uh, Galena Park North Shore. He was a part of the – you know, he was the best defensive player on the best defense in Texas when they beat Duncanville in that crazy game, that Hail Mary mm-hmm. State Championship game. Oh, yeah. I, I really like him. He's a guy – he wants to be an FBI agent when he gets done playing football. And he's – a very serious young man, mean-looking dude. Uh, he's one of those guys. I he probably be playing at Alabama or Texas if he was just a couple inches taller, you know, 15 pounds heavier coming out of high school. But uh, he's not. He's smaller. He's a little. He's a kind of a tweener. And honestly, Keith Patterson, he's had some success with guys like that. So I, I think he had a, a decent freshman season last year. I think he's going to have a very good sophomore year. Uh, Jalen Hutchings is another guy, nose tackle. He took over the starting gig. Um, I think he's going to be a very good player. He was a 275-pound running back in high school. I ran for 800 yards and like 10 touchdowns. Yeah, when their starting running back went down. So he's very athletic. Um, that, you know, they have some other guys coming up in defensive line I like, but um, it's, it's, a, it's a hope kind of thing, you know, mm-hmm. not necessarily like we know. Uh, linebacker, you know, I'm actually out of the three levels, I'm probably worried about it the least, which is weird considering, you know, they lost Jordan Brooks. Uh, Christian Mer- Merriweather is a guy they picked up. He was a midterm enrollee. 
He's a junior college All-American. He's expected to actually replace Jordan there. He can fly. I actually saw him do a backflip and pull pads. Um, he led all of the whole country in, in junior college uh, in, in tackles and stops last year. So uh, he, he's a guy that even Coach Matt Wells was gushing about before spring ball got shut down. He's going to be a player. Uh, Rico Jeffers, the guy who started next to Jordan last year, really good player. He's not he's not near as fast as Jordan, but um, he's another guy that'll thump you in the hole. That should help them kind of keep that somewhat success against the running game. And in the secondary, man, it's going to be a whole lot of piecing together. I think it's still going to be. This is one of those things where why I'm not saying okay, this is the year that Tech's going to make a big step because they still have those holes in the secondary and. I can name, rattle off some guys, but honestly, there's about eight or ten guys that I'm not sure we'll have to see. And I was really hoping to see during spring ball who had made the leap. And I think it's going to hurt that position group more than anybody, the fact that they didn't have spring ball. They really need – they need a lot. As a matter of fact, they moved Coach Patterson to secondary coach. Uh, they got rid of one, of one of the DB coaches, and they moved Patterson from linebackers to secondary coach because obviously he needs a lot of help. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. And, and like Parker said, I mean, that's that's just sort of been the book on Texas Tech in in recent years is just the fact that they have had incredible quarterbacks that can't come up to defense to, you know, kind of help them out. Um, Parker, do you want to talk about quarterbacks? Because I think it's going to be really interesting. I think I, do. I think I think this is the thing that I want to talk about most is because uh, Alan Bowman is like an enigma wrapped in a mystery for me yeah. um, because Alan Bowman has been one in high school. His film looks amazing. And then two on the field has looked amazing at times and then has also uh, looked very bad and then also been very injured. Um, so let's, yeah. let's start kind of here with Alan Bowman. Hey, you just, I, I don't, you just crushed it right there, man. <laughs> that's it. <laughs> there you go. You that's all you need to know. Yeah. Uh, yeah well so done. I mean, that's, that's my first question. <laughs> what is Alan Bowman? What is his ceiling? What are like reasonable expectations for Alan Bowman coming into the season with so much uncertainty and volatility and what we've seen of him so far? You know, what you, everything you said about him is true. First off, can he, he stay healthy? If he can't stay healthy, then what are we even talking about, right? Right. I mean, he I had the same lung was collapsed twice in one year, and then he had the separated shoulder. I mean, those are serious injuries. Uh, can he stay healthy? I, there was, I was hearing a lot of word that his family at one point was thinking of, okay, this is it, time to hang it up. We can't see our, you know, our boy get beat up to, to this extent. So I think he's one major injury for that becoming a reality, to be honest. Um, in, in terms of him on the field, look, when he's on, he's about as accurate of a quarterback as I've seen. And that's saying something. You know, I was here for the mm-hmm. entire Mahomes era, uh, you know, just as a student and just covered NFL, college, whatever. I've seen some pretty accurate passers. And Alan Bowman is right up there. Um, even offensive quarterback David Yost, who's coached some pretty dang good uh, quarterbacks in his day, said the same. He's as accurate as anybody he's ever worked with when he's on. When he's off, he doesn't have the arm strength to overcompensate. He's also not like a guy that's going to, you know, run out of the pocket and scramble for 20 yards or even really like he's not a, a move the chains kind of guy either. So yeah, in power five football. So he really needs that accuracy, that timing with his receivers has to be on. For him to be effective when it is, yeah, he could be dangerous and hard to stop. When he's not, you start looking like, well, what does he really bring to the table? Um, and so that that's where it is with Alan Bowman. Yeah, and, well, and, 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 and if he is injured or, or 
No, I was going to ask, and I don't want to take away from Bowman for a minute, but I, I am just curious, if he is injured, do you have any faith in, in Maverick McIver, or is, is he the, the, the next man up, or how does that work? Well, here's the deal. Maverick McIver, I'm a big fan of his. Watching him throw, he has a gun. He, can, he has a legitimate power five arm. He was a dual threat guy before. Now, he blew his leg out in his senior year. Um, it was a serious injury. He has mm-hmm. a very bulky knee brace on that knee. I mean, he's not – I would not consider him a mobile quarterback at this point. Right. Because uh, then, then he broke his foot in fall camp, I believe. Yeah, fall yeah. camp last year. So he missed all – he was out for most of last year, too, in terms of taking reps. So this guy hasn't played – I mean, he was, at, he was a junior at San Angelo Central when he took significant snaps for a long period of time. Uh, uh, is he ready to go play TCU and OU in Texas? I, I don't know. I don't think so. Um, and another guy who – he could have used the spring ball reps. Uh, and didn't get him. But I tell you, there's another guy, and I'm really hesitant to name for true freshman, but I saw him play a couple of times in Lubbock for Friendship High. He transferred in from Bishop Gorman in, in uh, Nevada, and his name is Donovan Smith and signed with, with mm-hmm. Texas Tech. Um, he's the, the son of running back coach DeAndre Smith. So obviously he's familiar with the system. Uh, and I was very skeptical of him. He was a good receiver at Bishop Gorman. The, he, the reason why he was a backup quarterback at Bishop Gorman was because that quarterback signed with Penn State. Um, he came in a friendship and took like a, a, a team that had won three games in two years to the playoffs. Uh, I, I saw his first game of the year, and he's a legitimate – I'm 6'4", stood next to him. He was taller than me, uh, so he's a legitimate 6'4". Uh, bulky. He's a, a hurdler. He was a state hurdler champ in Nevada. Very elusive, and I was shocked with his arm strength. Um, he's the kind of guy, and I haven't seen this in a long time in person, that can roll left and throw the ball across the field 40 yards on target. Um, so the gun is there. Now, is he ready to lead a Big 12 offense? I don't, I don't know. That remains to be seen. But I think later in the year, if Bowman struggles and MacGyver struggles, Donovan Smith is a guy to watch out for. I could see him taking, taking, the, taking over the race for sure. Interesting. Um, okay, well, well, let's let's talk about who's going to be around the quarterback. That's that's something to know. I mean, you know, TC is no stranger to an, an unexpected freshman starter. Um, yeah. And so that's that's something that's real, and especially with Bowman's injury history, not to say that he's injury prone, but just saying, you know, that that might be something we see. Let's talk about who's around him. Um, so you know, running running backs. Uh, I'm gonna, I'm going to say this terribly. So Roderick Thompson, I believe. Yeah. Did I do that well. Yeah. So Sir Roderick Thompson. Roderick, I mean. Yep. 4.8 yards per carry, 12 touchdowns, uh, almost a 50% success rate on carries. Um, he was the guy last year. Uh, I, I assume that'll be the same going forward. Yeah, man. So Roger's one of my favorite guys. He was fairly under, under-recruited. under He's the kind of guy when I when he came up on my radar, I was like, why isn't this guy being recruited by more schools? And I think after he committed to Tech, some other schools made a run at him, but it was too late. He's one of those guys like these are the these are my dogs. That's what he told mm-hmm. me. Who wrote who wrote me? You know, initially. So I was like, all right, uh, from the get is what he said. So uh, he, he's a guy who looks bigger than he is and runs faster than what his time is. He's one of those guys. My favorite type of running back. Uh, if he can stay healthy next year, he's going to put up really good numbers for Texas Tech. That's the bottom line. Now there is very little depth behind him with Tayson Henry, who I believe he used to be committed to to TCU he did. Uh, before he ended up signing yeah. with Tech. Uh, who, Tazon, I like Tazon, like personally. But he's a guy who was kind of like, he was a between-the-tackles runner, but really small. You know, he didn't have that extra gear. 
So Tech could use him right now. I guarantee you the coaches wish that he was still you know, in the fold. Uh, but of course, he's transferred to Houston. Uh, and that was a big blow. But they have a guy coming in who ran for over 4,000 yards in his career at, at Manor High School in Taj Brooks. And he is a 5'11", 215-pound type guy, bell cow guy, and they are going to rely heavily on him. Coach Matt Wells has said this publicly. He's told me uh, just in conversations, Taj Brooks is going to be um, a big-time player as soon as he, get, he gets on campus. He's going to be a big – he's going to be – the number two running back when he steps on campus. And he's he's going to be one of only three scholarship running backs on campus that I know of. So yeah. he's going to have to be good. I'm I'm very high on Taj Brooks, but they can't miss on him. He has to stay healthy and he has to be good. And so, Roderick, uh, like I said, uh, from the, the very first drill I saw him uh, last fall camp, he, uh, in, in, a, in a one-on-one drill with Jordan Brooks, no less, he shook him. Which I think shocked everybody. Uh, you know, he left him in the dust. And from then on, he's really just gotten better and better. Uh, I, so, Roderick, the key with him is staying healthy. He's always getting nicked up. And if he stays healthy, he's going to have a muscle. Definitely. And, and, and oh, I spent so much time on the I spent so much time <laughs> on the running backs because I think it's, one, profoundly weird that Texas Tech is not a, a quote-unquote air raid team anymore. Um, and, and two, because uh, Matt, Matt Wells focuses on the on the rushing attack a lot, and so we're gonna we're gonna hear Sir Roderick's name as Matt Wells' offense is functioning um, as designed. So I think that's I think that's really really good, and and the depth might be an issue there just because Matt uh, Matt Wells runs more, yeah, yeah. R- runs more than runs more than uh, what we've seen at Texas Tech a lot. Uh, Big Cliff did, yeah, yeah. Well, and and w- with that said, you know when you look at the passing game, obviously you have Thompson and Brooks as kind of two guys that could really make a name, right? Obviously. On the, in the receiving core, T.J. Vasher is the number one guy, right? So I, I covered a high school. Uh, their head basketball coach used to be an assistant at Ryder when T.J. Vasher was there and coached him. He was on the basketball okay, team yeah. and all that. He goes, yeah. He said he was the best athlete he's ever coached. I mean, just an incredible specimen. And you look at his stats from last year, Parker has him down for 81 targets, 42 catches, which is a low catch rate. But probably some of that has to do with, with the quarterbacking, right? And, and it seems to me like Vasher is prime for another big season. I mean, uh, am I wrong? I, I mean, love TJ. Besides him, you have Eric. Here, yeah, yeah. The deal with T, here's the deal with TJ is everything like everything you said about him is athleticism. Oh man, condor arms, great leaping ability. He makes the impossible catch on a routine basis and drops routine passes on a yeah. regular basis. If that makes sense, you yeah. know what I mean? He'll catch That's the three-yard uh, one-hand stab that makes Sports Center, and then on third and eight, he drops the one between the numbers, which we call I think that is what's so Rager. frustrating for yeah. Texas Tech fans. Do what? So we call that the Jalen Rager, but yeah. <laughs> yeah. Monty's going oh, to kill us on Twitter about this. <laughs> he doesn't listen. He's blocked us. Monty, Monty's blocked us many times over. Um, yeah. Oh, yeah. Man, that guy's uh, – yeah. I like Monte. He played when I went to school at Tech. I, so I, uh, I'm cool. always going to like Monte. But through uh-huh. the recruiting process with Jalen, that was, that was interesting. He is, a, he yeah. is a football dad in every sense of the word. No, with TJ, I want to say he's put on about 15 pounds since last season. Um, which on TJ that's significant. I think he's he's poised for a great year. Uh, let's hope, can he be consistent? That's that's the question. Uh, Eric Ezukama is the name you want to. Oh, wanna oh his name be... is burned in TCU fans' mind because yeah. he scored a big touchdown on a pick play against TCU last year. Mm-hmm. So yeah, I love he, he, Easy is what uh, is what he's called in Lubbock, and uh, I'm a huge fan of his both on and off the field. I think he's going to have a terrific year next year, no matter who the quarterback is. Definitely. 
Okay, so we just got that uh, 10 minute reminder. So I want to go ahead and shift to the schedule and talk about that now yep. that we've heard about the units. So, um, you know, non-conference uh, Texas Tech is goes to UTEP, which is interesting. Um, they have FCS Alabama State at home, and then they have the home leg of the Arizona trip. Um, they have the, uh, the four home game draws in the Big 12. So they will have West Virginia, Baylor, Texas, Kansas, OU. I do that wrong every time. They have five games at home. And then away, they have, uh, they'll go to Ames, to Stillwater, to Manhattan, and then to Fort Worth. So uh, five of their first seven are at home. Let's talk about progress uh, for Matt Wells. Let's talk about where the wins are going to come from and what we think uh, that, that might be. Yeah, first off, at UTEP, what's funny is it's kind of a West Texas rivalry. Like, in 2014, Tech had a really bad year. That was a terrible year for Tech. Protect even in this slump that was that was ugh, that was a terrible year and they almost got their butts beat. I, I went out there and I think Davis Webb led them on a last second drive to to win that. So uh, that's it happens. But <clears throat> I mean, look, if you're talking about Tech having any kind of decent year, obviously you got to win even at UTEP. But there's always like a riot of their fans out there, so it would be interesting. So you better handle your business there. Win the next game, of course, in your home opener. Um, and then, you know, Cupcake City. Uh, but then Arizona, it, assuming that game happens with everything going on, um, you know, you got to beat Arizona home. I mean, well, uh, it's one of those games like, well, what, what are we talking about? If you really want to have, in my opinion, any kind of measure of like a building block season, I, I think you got to beat that that uh, Power 5 non-conference home. you got to beat that uh, opponent at home. So – that's key. I think if you start off 3-0, I mean, obviously, I think Tech's going to be on their way to at least going to a bowl game, which I'm not saying is a big deal in the overall landscape of college football, but for Texas Tech and Matt Wells, at this point, it would be a big deal. So those wins, I mean, you, you mentioned, you know, you win those first three, and then look at the home games. You, you probably beat West Virginia right at home. That That's certainly a game Tech can win. You beat Kansas. They can win. Hopefully. I'm not chalking it up as a yeah, w, right, for I, sure, for I, sure. I mean, but but uh, right, <laughs> but I'm trying. I'm you know it. it they start, they looked a lot better after Dangy took over last year. They so. looked. They so did. Good, yeah. Yeah. They looked a and lot. And I'm a better. fan but, of Neil but, Brown. So. Me too. Oh, I think me and Parker both are. But but if you're trying to get to a bowl, you you win the first three. You beat West Virginia at home. You beat Kansas at home, and then. Where do you steal one? Is it at Kansas State at Iowa State? I mean, because those seem like the most likely candidates. Man. You know, you just you don't win in Manhattan. Tech doesn't win in Manhattan. They don't. I, you know, I'd like to say they will, but they haven't. And Matt Campbell, Iowa State has owned Texas Tech. Mm -hmm. I mean, even when Pat was here, that's when they – I think they housed him in Ames by like 50 or something, 40-something 40, 40 or 50. So, uh, is it doable? Maybe you split one of those games, but I, you know, I honestly um, – I think they have a better shot at TCU. There's something about TCU and going to play in Fort Worth. I think they've won the last two times. Well, yeah, you forget the uh, the away team in Texas, Texas Tech have, have won the last six years. Or TCU, Texas Tech have won the yeah. last six years. Yeah. So oh, yeah. Uh, these well, two teams sure. clearly like to go into each other, other, you know, the other team's stadium and win there, you know, and quiet mm -hmm. the, the, the fans. So that if out of those three that's where i think tech would have the best chance of stealing one not because they didn't take anything away against tcu but just because of that history we're talking about 
Absolutely. I think the TCU, the TCU Tech game in 20 – it was patched last year, 2016, I think was like the most boring game I've ever attended. Like it wasn't fun, even with the Tech team that was like shooting them up. Like it was completely boring in Tech 1. I totally forgot about that That's game. where it was like a defensive struggle, right? And Tech yeah. ran the ball like 19 out of 20 times uh, on the last drive, right? Like uh, <laughs> that's crazy. right. I remember that. Crazy. Was, oh, my God. I hated it. Well, the year before that was really exciting, and, and TCU broke Tech's hearts. I mean, there was, yep. it was terrible. Fans were crying in, in the stadium. That was the, that was one of the that was one of the toughest losses for Texas Tech since I've been out here. It was oh. it was uh, that was a tough one. Honestly, but here's the thing: that took years off of all of our collective lives. Like we were all <laughs> supposed to live to be like 75, and now we're all going to die at 74 because of that. Game. I flipped the yeah. couch after that game. It was I, fantastic. Oof. Yeah, it, it was <laughs> amazing. Yeah, it was wild. Yeah. It was awesome. Oh, um, okay, so so uh, so Jared, we just have a couple minutes left here. Uh, uh, put a put a number on it. I'm just putting you on the spot. How many wins are, are the Texas Tech Red Raiders going to have this fall? I realistically, depending on how the how it all shakes, you know, shakes out or shapes up, I see five to seven wins. So I'm going to be op- just optimistic and say six, six and six. Six and six. Very nice, um, Jared. Uh, I think we're going to get cut off here. But uh, where can people find you on the internet? Yeah. Inside the Red Raiders.com. Also on Twitter, you can find me at Johnson Jarrett. Awesome. This was awesome. Um, so great. Thanks for coming on, man. We really appreciate it. Um, and uh, people can go follow you to find all of their Texas Tech news. Thanks, Jarrett. Right. Thanks for having me on the show. Appreciate it.